listening to the Vintage Church Podcast. We exist to inspire people to live and love like Jesus. For more information, please visit our website at vintagechurch.net. We hope you enjoyed today's teaching. Good to be in the house of the Lord, amen. Y'all ready? You say that, but you don't know what I'm preaching on. All right, you said that. You asked for it. Hey, uh, you know, he had y'all high-five and hug, right? Y'all might want to do it again because you might need a friend when I get done. <laughs> See, I come out here, I was planning on being all mean and everything, and now y'all already got me smiling. So, welcome to Venice Church. Yeah, amen, amen. It's good. Good place to be. Hey, give it up for this band. Are you flipping kidding me right now? Oh, my gosh. Hey, I also want to point out something else. Everybody turn around and look at your pastor back there. Look at him. Make goo-goo eyes at him. Do it. Look, run the slides today. What's that about? Yeah. Give it up for the sound team, man. None of this would be possible without them. That's awesome. Man. Blown away. <clears throat> so, um, disclaimer. I, I've been doing this going on my 18th year preaching. And, you know, uh, it's, it's some, God calls you to preach. I mean, you don't know what to expect. Um, and then when you do it, you still don't know what to expect, but you know God's got you back, right? And so, uh, you know, Matt's talked about this before, about preparing a message, and then right before you walk up on stage, God, God takes it and gives you something else, right? And, and God's funny about that. I always said God has a sense of humor. And you know, about a month ago, I had a message prepared, and then God's like, nah, man, I need you to do this one. And so that's what I've done. And so I'm going to say some pretty hard things today. And today may be your first and last day at Venice Church. I don't know, okay? <laughs> but that's okay, too. But I'm going to say some, some tough stuff to hear. But I, I want to go ahead and make sure you understand before you judge me and I'm not up here talking down to you. When, when God calls you to preach, before he ever allows you to step on somebody else's toes, he mashes yours off. I don't have any toes. Okay? And over the last month, that's what he's been doing to me. And so what I share with you is not simply a message that I throw at you and hope you do something with. It's a message that I've digested, has been smacked, I got smacked in the face with, got my toes stepped on, stomped off, and God's molding and, and making something in me. And I'm not saying that to brag. It hasn't been pleasant. It really hadn't. And there's been more days where I would have said, hey, I'd, I'd love to avoid this. But I know who God is, and I know what God does. And God leads you to something so he can lead you through it. Because that's how he gets his glory. Yeah, you should amen that. That's big time. That's how God gets his glory. And so today, I don't foresee a lot of clapping going on today. Hey, and that's okay. That's okay. Because clapping never saved anybody. Clapping ain't going to fix any of us. But you know what, Will? It's submitting to who Jesus Christ is and to his call on our life. And if we'll allow the Holy Spirit that's thick in here already, if we'll allow him to mold and make our life into what he has in store for us, 
I promise you, just like the Word says, all things are possible. But what you can't do here today, you can't, you can't think this message is for somebody else. This message ain't, it ain't about your mother, your father, your husband, your wife, your brother, your sister. It ain't about the person that you're sent beside or the person you got your arm around or the person you invited to church. This message is for you. It's for you. So don't you dare take what's said today and apply it to somebody else's circumstances or somebody else's life. You've got to apply it to your own. Paul said, let every man examine himself. I promise you, if you'll do that, God will. God's already here, but he'll do some work while he is here. Amen? Let's pray. Father, God, I thank you for For being the author and finisher of our faith. God, your word is very simple. It says we are called to plant the seed, but you give the increase. You cause it to grow. God, take the seeds that are going to be thrown here today. And God, may they fall in fertile soil. And God, take care of them so that they grow and produce fruit. God, I ask that you cleanse my heart. And I thank you for giving me the words that you'd have me say here today. And God, if there's just one, God, if there's just one that's here today that doesn't know you, or, or God, maybe they know you, but they've been, they haven't been living for you. God, that that would change. Because you're not the God that leaves the one behind. God, you'll leave the 99 to come and get that one that needs you the most. And God, we'll give you all the praise, all the honor, and all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Today is part three of our series called Paradox. And today is going to be centered around Matthew 10, 39. You'll, you'll see it on the screen. Matthew chapter 10, verse 39. Jesus says, Whoever finds their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Whoever finds their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Jesus said a lot of controversial things. He said a lot of in-your-face things. But to me, none more controversial and in your face than this. <clears throat> because this verse isn't about Jesus. This verse is about you. This is about how you live your life. This is about how, who you live your life for. And that's why it may get a little uncomfortable. But remember, you said it was okay. Right? You're here. You ain't left yet. That means it's okay. Whoever finds their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. 
Pretty simple, two choices there. If you find your life, you'll lose it. If you lose your life for him, you'll find it. Pretty line in the sand moment, right? Let's go a little further. Just a second. You can go ahead and flip it now. You're going to see a word up on the screen. And I want to stay up there through the rest of the sermon. Self. Self. What is self? And why does self matter? Because self is the only thing that stands in the way of you having a productive, fruitful relationship with an almighty God. Self is what's keeping you from being who and what God, and call, God has called and intended for you to be. Self is what's keeping you from doing what God has called you to do. Self. That word, notice it's not sin, right? It's self. You've heard Matt say at the, at the root of every bad decision is sin. I'll take that one step further. At the root of every sin is self. At the root of every sin is self. So as I try my best to figure out what Jesus is trying to say in Matthew 10, 39, I can't escape this idea of self. So I begin to ask myself, what is, what is Jesus trying to say about how I live? And then it hit me. In Philippians chapter 1, you can turn there. It's not going to be on the screen. You're going to have to do a little work today, okay? Philippians chapter 1, verse 21. The Apostle Paul says this. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. What does it mean to live? Paul says, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. What a powerful sentence. And all of a sudden, it started unlocking doors. Because what Paul's saying here is, everything he's tried to be, everything he is, and everything he was destined to be, all pointed at the same thing, Christ. Now, we're on the back half of his life here. And he writes this sentence, and he says, you know, everything I do in my life, points to Christ. And if God chooses to allow me to live another day, my life's going to point to Christ. But if he chooses to take me, guess what? I go, to, I go to heaven and I get to be with him forever. For to me, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. So how do we unpack? How do we unpack this, this scripture that Jesus tells us? About whosoever finds his life will lose it. Whosoever loses their life for my sake will find it. How does that connect? It all goes back to how you live your life. So what does it mean to live is Christ? I want to share five things with you that I think that it means. But before I do that, I want to share a statement with you. Can I just be transparent for a second and tell you something? Most of my life, I have not lived for Christ. Christ. 
Most of my life I have lived for self. Most of my life has been devoted to that word right there. And I'm sure I'm the only one in the room. I want you to understand, my toes got stepped on first. What does it mean to live as Christ? Can I just go ahead and tell you? It looks so much differently than living for self. Night and day. First thing, to live as Christ means that we proclaim the gospel of Christ. If your life <clears throat> is being lived for Jesus Christ, then it must proclaim the gospel of Christ. You know what that word gospel means? It's good news. If you, if you go a little further in the translation, it actually means good news from the battlefield. You know what that tells me? When I proclaim that good news, it's probably going to cost me something. When I proclaim that good news, it's probably going to cost me something. There's a reason it doesn't translate as good news from the picnic. Or good news from the party. It's good news from the battlefield. Listen to me, church. Paul preached in synagogues, in prisons, in marketplaces, in coliseums. Everywhere God sent him, Paul preached a message that proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ. Everywhere. Paul was a tent maker. He preached the gospel of Jesus Christ as a tent maker. Paul preached in chains, in bondage. He preached in places he'd never been before, on foreign islands. He preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. And his message was constant and consistent. It was constant and consistent. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2. Look at what Paul says. He says, For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul says, my message was constant, and it was consistent. I preached Jesus Christ and him crucified. He don't get no better than that. What else is there to know? That's the good news from the battlefield. <clears throat> when you read the letters of Paul, when you read the book of Acts, you notice that that Paul preached a message about Christ's sacrifice. And he didn't, he didn't, he was no respecter of persons as to who heard it. Paul preached to kings, to governors, to philosophers, to prisoners, to Jews, to Gentiles, to men, and to women. He went where God told him to go, and he said what God told him to say. To live as Christ means. We must proclaim the gospel of Christ. <clears throat> Paul's preaching in the book of Acts. And there's a man sitting in a window named Eutychus. And he falls asleep. And he falls asleep and falls out of the window. He breaks his neck and he's dead. <clears throat> and so Paul Walks down, lays his hand on him, prays over him, and heals him, brings him back to life. Y'all fall asleep, I can't do that. Yeah. 
Paul preached the message to whoever God put in front of him. He proclaimed the gospel of Christ. One of the most beautiful stories in, the, in, in, in Acts is Paul's encounter with a Philippian jailer. Paul's been in prison for preaching. He's been whipped for preaching. He's in the prison cell, bleeding, in pain. <clears throat> you know what the Bible says he did? Start singing up hymns. <laughs> he starts singing and praising God. God sends an angel, earthquake. The jail doors come open, and he's told to go. And as he's leaving, he looks back, and there's a, this jailer. Probably the same guy that helped beat him is about to fall on his own sword. Because Roman law was, if you lost the prisoner, you paid with your life. And Paul says, wait! Do yourself no harm, for we are all here. And that jailer takes Paul and Silas to his home. Probably the same man that, that, that cracked the whip washes their wounds and bandages, bandages them up and before the night is over comes to receive Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. Not only him, but his whole house. Paul proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what it means to live is Christ. Here's my question. Who are you proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ to? And you say, Casey, I don't know what to say. Can I tell you something? That's self-talking. That's self-talking. Who are you proclaiming the good news from the battlefield to? Because it's going to cost you something. What are you willing to give up? Number two, to live as Christ means that we imitate the example of Christ. We imitate the example of Christ. Everything Jesus did and everything Jesus said, Paul said, that's what I want to do and I want to say. In 1 Corinthians 11, Paul says in verse 1, follow my example as I follow the example of Jesus Christ. Paul's preaching, he says, hey, you follow me as I follow Christ. The moment I stop following Christ, don't follow me. You follow him. Everything <clears throat> Jesus said and did, Paul wanted to say and do. You can't follow the example of Jesus if you're too consumed with following self. Can I tell you something? Jesus lived the most selfless, unselfish life in all of humanity. In all of humanity. Now there are some people that have done some, some selfless, unselfish acts, but nobody has lived a life as unselfishly as Jesus Christ. I want to give you this sentence. We must learn to be selfless. Pretty simple sentence, right? We must learn to be selfless. How do we, how do we get there? How do we do that? We take out the self. We must learn to be less. You say, Casey, that's stupid. I say, John 3.30 says, I must become greater. He must become greater. I must become less. I'm okay with that. He must become greater. I must become less. That's how we learn to be selfless. You got to take out the self. There was nothing selfish about anything Jesus did. And to live as Christ means that we are to imitate 
the example of Jesus Christ. When was the last time you made a decision that benefited somebody other than yourself? I asked myself that question. That was tough for me to hear. It was even tougher to answer. When was the last time you made a decision that benefited someone else other than yourself? We must imitate the example of Christ. Number three, to live as Christ means that we pursue the knowledge of Christ. We pursue the knowledge of Christ. We ought to want to know Christ better and better every single day. And I'm not talking about memorizing a list of facts about when he was born and where he was born and who he was born to. I'm talking about what Paul says in Philippians 3, verse 10. Listen to this. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. I want to know Christ. You know what Paul's talking about here? When we say we want to know about something, we're curious. When we say we want to know something, we want a relationship. Paul's talking about a relationship. He says, I want to know Christ. I remember the moment I laid eyes on my wife. I wanted to know her. And not in the biblical sense. I wanted to know her. I didn't want to know about her. I didn't want somebody else telling me what her hobbies were and what she liked and all this stuff so I could decide from afar. I'd already made my mind up. I wanted to know her. I knew she was the one. <laughs> and despite, despite of everybody talking to her, she's still here 16 years later. Right? Like, I've not run her off and I've tried. She won't go. I'm picking but I pursued her. And, and let me tell you something, husbands. Because I don't say this with my chest bowed out. I say this from a very humble position. If you will pursue your wife, you will become so much, so much better husband. If you'll pursue your wife, you will become such a better father. If you'll pursue your wife, and I don't mean chase her around the house, I mean like pursue her, like pray over her, man, be that shoulder that she needs. Your relationship with Christ, oh my gosh, it will, <laughs> it will grow and take you places you'll never even imagine. You see, I, I love my wife, and I want a relationship with her, but that requires me to pursue her. Right. That means I have to know her, not just know about her. But there's a parallel here. It's no different with Jesus. When I pursue Jesus, I'm a better father. I'm a better husband. I'm a better follower. I'm in the Word more. My prayer life is where it needs to be. 
when I pursue Him, it makes me better. Because I'm wanting to know Him. He's a, the devil knows about Jesus. <laughs> but we have the opportunity to know Him. To live as Christ it means that we must pursue the knowledge of Christ. Can I just add this on here? If your walk is suffering, if your walk with God is suffering, if you, if you feel like you don't, your relationship <clears throat> with Jesus Christ isn't where it needs to be, it's because you're following something else. And it's probably that. To live as Christ means that we're willing to give up anything that prevents us from having Christ. Listen to what Paul said. Philippians 3, verse 7. But whatsoever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from the God on the basis of faith. Paul was a Pharisee. He was rich. <clears throat> he was educated. And he had plenty of power. He was the top of the food chain. He had everything. Stature, prominence, all these things that, that, that people sell their souls to possess. Paul had it. And then on this road to Damascus to do what he was really good at, <clears throat> persecuting and killing Christians, God knocks him off his high horse and blows his life up. And because of a relationship with Christ, look at what he says here. For I have lost all things, and I consider them garbage. Garbage. Tessa, my middle child, is learning to read. And preschool, the other day, she brought, brought home a little book, and it just had a few words in it, some sight words, and had some pictures, and she goes, Dad, let's read this book together. That's okay. She jumped up on the couch. She turned the, opened it up. The first word on the first page was D-O. She said, do. I said, no, that's do. Flip the next page. It was on there again. She said, do, Daddy. I said, no, it's do. It's do. Do, do. She said, Daddy, you said do, do. <laughs> I'm telling Mommy, watch out for that middle child. Once again, there's a parallel. Paul says, I count all those things I've lost as garbage. Garbage. Some translations will see the word rubbish. The Greek word for garbage is kind of a funny word. It's skubalon. Skubalon. Now, 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 now Tessa, when, she, when I said doo doo, she went hee hee hee. I can't imagine what she'd say if I said skubalon. She'd probably laugh for days. She just thinks that's the funniest thing. Funny, funny sounding words, Dad. Dad, this word sounds funny. Booger. Ha ha. 
scubalon. You know what that really means? The literal translation of scubalon? I won't say it, but I'll spell it for you. S-H-I-T. This is what Paul said. I want you to understand where Paul's coming from. All that power, all that education, all that wealth, all that prominence. Paul says, hey, all of that, it's okay to lose. Because when compared to knowing Jesus Christ, it's only S-H-I-T. You really want some perspective? He wrote that from a prison cell. The letter of Philippians was written while Paul was behind bars and chained. Everything I've ever acquired, everything I've ever amassed, everything I've ever possessed, all of it, scubalon when compared to knowing Jesus Christ. Paul was willing to give it all up, even self. For to me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. Last one. To live is Christ means that Christ is our focus, our goal, and our chief desire. Let me tell you something. If Jesus Christ isn't the center point of your life, then you don't have a relationship with him. I'll go ahead and spell it out for you. You're not, you're not on one side of the fence or the other. You don't have a relationship with him. Jesus has to be the focus of your life. If you're following all this other crap, then you're not following Jesus. He has to be the focal point of our life. Hebrews 12, the writer says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. What? Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. What are your eyes fixed on? What are you motivated by? What are you chasing? For most people, it's that. Every decision is filtered through that. Every motivation is filtered through that. If you're following that, that's not what it means to live as Christ. Because guess what? Self, self is something we possess. We already have it. It's here with us now. Look at what Matthew 10, 39 says. Whoever finds their life will lose it. If you've already found it, it's lost because you're chasing the wrong things. But whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Can I tell you something? Paul found it. Paul found it because his focus was on following Jesus Christ, not himself. In Romans 10, the first three or four verses there, this is what Paul says. He says, brothers and sisters, my heart's desire 
is to see all of Israel saved. To see all of Israel saved. But look at what he goes on to say. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God. They're on fire for God. But their zeal is not based on knowledge. Since they did not know the righteousness of God, they sought to establish their own, and they did not submit to God's righteousness. We have a beautiful church here. Lots of paint, walls, sound, talented musicians. And in most churches, USA, people come in. They've put their butts in the seats. They throw their hands up in the air when songs are sung. They close their eyes when they pray. They even throw a little money in the offering plate. And they sit there and they listen to a message. And then they leave and go live for themselves the other six days of the week. That's what happens in most churches. If you came here to check a box or to mark it off your list, you're living for self. Paul says, my heart's desire is to see all of Israel saved. They've got the zealous part down. They've got the motions down. They're excited about God, but guess what? They just don't know who he is. And one step further, they've not even come close to submitting to his righteousness. Instead, they follow their own righteousness. I followed, like I told you, I followed my righteousness for most of my life. You know what the Bible says about our righteousness? It says it is as filthy rags. My righteousness is nothing but dirty rags. When I focus on self, I'm focusing on dirty rags that are worthless. <clears throat> they can't clean anything because all they do is spread more dirt around. Paul says to live is Christ and to die is gain. You want to find your life for Jesus, your focus has to be on him. He's the only one that can make your dirty rags clean. The word says he'll wash them whiter than snow. We can't follow our own righteousness. I'll share this last passage of scripture with you. And then we'll go home. Matthew chapter 16, verse 21. I want you to hear this. <clears throat> From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go into Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whosoever loses their life for me will find it. 
What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their own soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Here we have probably one of the greatest opportunities in all of time. Peter's standing there, and he hears Jesus tell him what, what's getting ready to happen. Jesus says, I'm getting ready to be nailed to a cross. I'm getting ready to lay down my life for the sins of humanity. And on the third day, I'm going to come back to life. And I'm going to conquer hell and hold the keys to life and death. And Peter says, huh, not going to happen, Lord. Not going to happen. Do you notice what Jesus says? He says, Peter, you're a stumbling block to me. You're not concerned with, with the things of God. You're only concerned with the concerns of, of man. You're a stumbling block. You know what a stumbling block is? It's something that gets in your way and keeps you from going and getting to where God has called you to go. God called Jesus to the cross. And let me tell you something. In case you're, in case you're not sure, he went all the way to the cross. And he carried with it every sin that you will ever commit with him. And he willingly laid down his life and was nailed to that tree. His blood poured out to wash our filthy rags. I don't know about you, but I don't want to do anything with my life that hinders somebody else from knowing the good news of Jesus Christ. At the root of every bad decision is sin, but at the root of every sin is self. Whoever finds their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Church, listen to me. It doesn't matter how you showed up here today. What matters is how you leave. Hey, this is holy ground. An hour and a half before first service, I watched one of our members pray over every single chair, whether your butt's in it or not. It was prayed over. What will you do with your life? I want to ask our pastors, elders, if you lead a small group, if you would, just surround the outside. I want to I give people opportunity. Yeah, if you lead a small group, you're a pastor, elder, just surround the outside. I want you to know there are people here that care about you. They cared enough about whether you showed up or not to pray over your chair. They also care enough to pray with you. Here at Venice Church, can I just tell you something? You are not alone. You are not alone. And you may say, well, I don't, I'm embarrassed to get up. Don't be. Don't be a stumbling block to your own life. And don't leave here the same way you showed up. Father, we thank you, God, for who you are. We're thankful for the fact that that today you are high and lifted up. God, we're thankful for the fact that you went all the way to Calvary's Hill. 
Not because you had to, but because you chose to. And God, today, if there's, there's, if there's just one here, God, just one that can get back on track, God, I pray that they have the courage to do that. God, thank you for this time together. Thank you for your word, and thank you for your love. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening to the Vintage Church Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at vintagechurch.net.